Hello, this is Eric Sinrod of Dwayne Morris. I'm joined by my colleague, Jonathan Armstrong. We're here delivering yet again another Tech Law 10 podcast where the law and information technology intersect. And Jonathan, apparently you've been thinking about Twitter's planned IPO. Uh, what are your thoughts in that area? Yeah, I have. And uh, to be honest, what I've been thinking about is is value and, and Twitter's business model. Now, we know that Twitter's just announced that it plans to go for an IPO. And um, some fund managers seem to be saying that uh, it's $12.8 billion valuation, and maybe it'll trend uh, higher still, so maybe 15 to $20 billion value. But I guess the thing that's puzzling me is the question that puzzles all of us long-time uh, watchers of uh, e-commerce is, why is it worth that? Where do we get the value from? And it seems to me that whilst ever you know, people have said that about Facebook and LinkedIn and earlier IPOs, isn't there more of a concern here? And why I say that is I don't think their business model is as easy to understand in terms of where it generates revenue than some others. It seems to me that unless they're doing particularly uh, exotic things like subscription content or privileged access to some of the fav uh, favored people on Twitter or famous and well-followed people on Twitter, they've more or less got three ways of raising revenue. The first is sponsored texts. Now, we know from that British Airways case that we talked about before that that's a relatively easy way of uh, taking advertising revenue and advertising. But from memory, I think the figure there was about $1,000 for, from memory, um, I may be completely wrong on this, 70,000 eyeballs. So in some respects, that's not a lot of advertising revenue from that sponsored text campaign. So in my mind, I'm not sure that in itself justifies the large uh, numbers on the IPO. The second possibility might be something like a silver service type model, a premium Twitter user. But we know that LinkedIn have tried that for, uh, for their IPO, saying that people would subscribe to be super members. We know that some other social media sites have tried it, and, and I question whether that's a big revenue generator as well. Now, obviously, whenever we prophesy, we could be right, and I guess we have to say at this stage that this doesn't constitute financial advice, and obviously stocks can go up and come down. But the third thing, and obviously the biggest thing for most social media um, ad, uh, uh, operations, is plain old advertising revenue. But it seems to me that is not without its challenges either. To get big advertising revenue, presumably Twitter would have to change the look and feel of its website. Now that's challenging if you're a, um, you know, a, a, a desktop type application, but Twitter increasingly is a mobile application. So it's challenging to take up parts of the screen for advertising. But I think they've got another problem as well. And there was a very interesting article last week in the Evening Standard in London from Benjamin Cohen, who was talking about the amount of, let's put it bluntly, filth and porn on Twitter and how Twitter seems uh, unable, really, to control its content. Now, we know that this is something that, when pushed, advertisers 
care about. We've had well-known cases with um, AskFM and with Facebook, for example, of advertisers boycotting when the site doesn't supervise properly because, rightly, many advertisers will not want to be associated with some of the content that exists on Twitter. And I think whilst Benjamin Cohn perhaps didn't make the direct connection, I think that goes to value as well. If I'm Disney, I might not want to advertise alongside some of the seedier things that happen you know, after dark on, on Twitter, and that must affect value as well. And I think, Eric, coincidentally last week, you were looking... I have to choose my words carefully. You weren't looking at revenge porn websites. Uh, uh, thanks to our friend Chris Dale for pointing out my uh, error in the way I tweeted that. But you were looking at the whole issue of revenge porn websites, which somehow links to that as well. That's true. I was looking into the issue, shall we say, um, <laughs> and, and sort of switching gears just a little bit, but uh, related as well. Uh, as we know, smartphones now provide the ability for users to take photographs and videos of life basically immediately as it happens. And lovers, when they're caught up in the moment, at times record their amorous activities, thinking they're going to keep those uh, salacious photos and videos private among themselves. But the question, hap the question occurs, what happen when, happens when love dies, but the, the photos and videos remain? Uh, will they stay private? And unfortunately, the answer is no, which leads to revenge sites revenge porn sites. And what those are, those are sites that showcase nude and sexual photos and videos posted by former lovers, boyfriends, and husbands, and they're showing up increasingly on the Internet. And not only are the uh, intimate photos and videos getting posted for public review, no longer private between the two members of the prior couple, but they are also provided with identifying information and oftentimes disparaging comments. Thus, we have a situation where a woman who simply thought she was sharing a private filmed moment uh, with her lover now may find that moment broadcast to the world in a very negative light, and with the world knowing exactly who that woman is. Uh, and this has had devastating consequences for some women who've been so revealed. Uh, some of them have gone to the lengths of changing their appearances or changing their names, so they're less likely in the future to be associated with those what they thought were private uh, sexual photos now being broadcast for the world to see. Uh, so what has this done? This has led to some civil lawsuits that have been filed against the perpetrators of the revenge porn sites. And while it's true that some of these lawsuits have yielded monetary settlement payments or have resulted in the shutting down of certain sites, that doesn't always get the job done because even if a site is shut down, oftentimes it's too late because the offending photos and videos have gone viral all over the internet to other places. Mm -hmm. So where, where, we, where we are then is there's been a movement afoot in the United States at least, and I don't know if it's true in your country as well, Jonathan, but there's been a movement afoot to allow for criminal penalties when it comes to revenge porn sites. Um, and this has been percolating in a few states. New Jersey, for example, uh, has a law that could permit criminal prosecution relating to revenge porn sites, although that was not the specific intent behind that law when it was created. Uh, in Florida, there was a bill uh, that was floated uh, that would have afforded criminal prosecution for revenge porn sites, but it didn't make it through the Florida legislature. However, uh, Governor Jerry Brown of my home state of California just very recently signed into law uh, probably the first true 
criminal revenge porn site law in the United States, uh, but it does have its detractors because it only punishes certain types of revenge, or revenge, excuse me, revenge posting as misdemeanors, so the penalties are not terribly severe, and it really only applies when the poster had the intent to cause serious distress, which is a pretty mm. high standard to meet. You know, nevertheless, uh, it, it perhaps is a step in the right direction. There are some legal scholars who believe that revenge porn legislation can run afoul of our First Amendment freedom of speech protections, while others believe that such laws could pass constitutional muster so long as they're narrowly drafted to address nude or sexual photos or videos without consent. Um, then there's a whole debate about whether this issue should be handled at the state level or whether there should be federal legislation so that we have uniformity across the board in our country. Um, all that being said, Jonathan, I'm curious whether there's been any such uh, effort made in the UK in terms of criminalizing revenge porn sites. I don't think so uh, in terms of uh, specific legislation, but I think we have had harassment cases which have followed a similar fact pattern. And of course, here we have data protection laws which might enable the uh, individuals to get the content taken down, just as, for example, the unsavory films were taken down under criminal sanction. Uh, the YouTube uh, clips in, in Italy, for example, what, 18 months, a couple of years ago. So I think that there are some remedies that exist to deal with this, but not a pre-packaged independent legislation uh, as, as is proposed in the U.S. Of course, the right to be forgotten, which is contained in the proposed new EU data protection regime, would, would address that as uh, amongst other issues. But I think my gut feel is, we, we won't see that next year, and it may even be the, the year after now. So um, certainly one uh, to keep following, and I suspect will tie in to some extent with Twitter, as the, this type of content is often referred to on Twitter, and once Twitter are on notice, will they be able to put the resources uh, behind to remove uh, offending links and offending content, etc.? And I think that's, again, another challenge for social media sites that, that these takedown requests themselves need policing, and many of them just aren't resourced to deal with, uh, with the content that, that, that they're put on notice about. Yeah, I suppose the bottom line here, pardon the pun, is that you know, even if you feel you're in a trusting relationship with somebody and for some reason you find it interesting as a concept to perhaps film your amorous activities, you might think twice and decide not to do that because your lover today might end up being your enemy tomorrow. Hopefully not. But if so, then what happens with the images that were uh, yeah. taken uh, whilst you were having your, uh, your, your carrying on, as you will say? need to make sure you're not exposed whilst you're exposed. Exactly right. So, on that note, we thank you for joining us for this uh, different Tech Law 10. Um, I'm Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris in San Francisco. My email address is ejsinrod at duanemorris.com. As you know, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, all those usual places. And as usual, we'll also turn it over to Jonathan to, as we say, bring it on home. Yeah, and thanks uh, for listening to us. I'm uh, JP Armstrong at DwayneMorris.com. We're always happy to hear your suggestions for future topics. And all that remains is to thank you for listening and to speak to you again soon. Take care. Thank you. Cheers.